Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min Football family. And I'm here today to bring you a live edition of the show, having not long walked in through the front door from a trip to Wembley, a successful trip to Wembley for the mighty Gunners. A bit of silverware? Yes. The most prestigious bit of silverware? No. It's not really about the plate today, though, is it? It's about what we saw from Arsenal as a collective, as a unit, what we saw from some of our players as individuals. We talked about it in the build-up to this game. Psychologically, winning this is big, I think. And it's something that we could have really done with. You felt like if Arsenal were to have fallen short against Manchester City again, then the kind of complex that I think had existed at Arsenal and, and probably still does to a degree when it comes to taking on Manchester City would have only got worse. So forget the plate, forget rival fans telling us that it doesn't matter and it's a nonsense trophy and it's a joke and people pointing fingers at us for celebrating and all the rest of it. Forget all of that because that's not what this is about. This is about Arsenal going toe-to-toe with the best team in world football. This is about Arsenal doing more than competing. This is about Arsenal being faultless for 75 minutes, making a mistake, but then having the reserves, not just mentally, but in terms of players on the bench to bring on and impact the game, to fight back and then having the psychological metal to go into a penalty shootout, win the penalty shootout and take home the plate, if that's what you want to call it. It's not about the silverware itself. It's a nice finish to have that piece of silverware is obviously nice. Everybody gets a medal. There's something to lift at the end in celebration. All of that's great. But that's not what we're really celebrating here today. We're celebrating, I think, another big moment, actually, in Arsenal's progression as a side. This is a young side. This is a side that had three new players in the starting eleven today who all performed very, very well, in my opinion. And we'll come on to uh, break it down in terms of individuals a little bit later on. Um, But yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm absolutely buzzing. Really, really enjoyed the day out. Um, It was a great day. You know, went down to Wembley nice and early, parked up. Spotted a wimpy. When was the last time you guys had a wimpy? Haven't seen one of those in years. Walked past. We thought, yeah, we were going to go somewhere to eat. So why not? Let's have a wimpy. An incredible burger. Followed by a nice cold drink. And then a stroll up Wembley Way, where there was only red shirts, by the way. Um, Made our way into the stadium. Atmosphere was great. Bumped into loads of uh, fabulous gooners. Bumped into uh, Leslie, who's in the chat as well. Uh, great to meet you, Leslie. And I'm, I'm, I'm always sorry when when people sort of come and say hello. 
that I don't know their names, but it's because I don't see you guys. You guys see me, but I don't see you. So it's it's difficult for me to recognize people, but um, I, I certainly recognized your name from the chat and it's great to to meet you in person. And, and there was a couple of others that I met as well. Uh, so good to see you guys uh, in real life as well. Lots and lots of people in the live chat already. Good to see so many of you with us on this Sunday evening. Arsenal Community Shield winners having beaten the treble winners, Manchester City, on penalty kicks at Wembley. Pretty good day. Pretty good day. And look, I was sitting in the car. I, I didn't drive to the game today. My dad drove. So I was sitting in the car kind of scrolling through Twitter on the way back. And if you saw some of the tweets being put out by rival fans, people who played for rival clubs, journalists of another club's persuasion, it's it's so, so, so funny that everybody hates us the way they do. It, it almost gives me life. Like, I love it. I, I love the fact that we are this disliked again. I love the fact that we get under people's skin. I love the fact that the way we celebrate um, gets under people's skin. I mean, the celebrations were by no means wild today. They were by no means wild. It was a nice celebration of a good performance and the fact that we got a bit of silverware, no matter how significant that trophy is seen uh, as people, uh, two people, it's a bit of silverware and we beat a side that we are wanting to surpass, that we are wanting to take on, that we are wanting to be better than that. They are the, they are the benchmark. Manchester City are the benchmark. And so if you beat them, which is something we've really struggled to do, whether it be on penalties or not, you should enjoy it. I mean, what do people expect you to sit down in your seat in an orderly fashion? A polite applause, perhaps? I don't know. I really don't know what people want. Um, but anyway, we won't let the haters um, spoil what is a good day for us, what was a good afternoon's work, uh, and what should be a good evening in the next couple of days as we build up towards, of course, the new Premier League season, which kicks off on Friday. Manchester City, the first game, by the way, they take on Burnley, I think. Is it Burnley? I think so. Uh, in the first game. Leslie points out in the chat uh, that the City fans were so quiet throughout the match. Genuinely, right? I didn't want to be the guy that like sat there and went, your fans are shit and all the rest of it. But they were awful. I didn't hear a peep out of them. Literally, the only noise we heard from them was when they scored. Now, I get that when you win all the time, an occasion like this becomes less exciting. I get that. But the problem is that every time I speak to City fans, they all say, oh, we're just thankful to be here. We're just thankful to be in this position. We're just thankful to see our club being successful. Well, then surely you should relish every moment. And they certainly didn't relish every moment today. There were a lot of empty seats in their section as well, in the upper tier. Uh, and I know that people have been pointing that out on social media. What I won't do is really go in on them for that because I think that I think that for me, you know, it's a Sunday, it's in London, it's our city, it's easier for us, right? For, for the majority of us that live in and around the London area, it's much easier to get down to Wembley. And obviously with the kickoff time being at 4pm, it was scheduled to be later than that, but it got changed, didn't it? For them to go back up to Manchester, it's difficult. Um, and And I know that you know, that, that poses problems. And, and I know that, as I say, they've been to Wembley a ton of times in recent seasons. Maybe there were a few of them that didn't fancy it. So I'm not going to really stick the boot in on, on the Manchester City supporters that didn't attend the game today, because it's obviously a lot more difficult for the majority of them than it is for us. 
I was saying this to my dad on the way there. Where we saw loads and loads of fans going towards the ground and, and a couple of people turned around to us and said, where are the City fans? And there were a few. They were scattered about. They, they had a decent turnout. But, you know, I think that it's unfair to, to really go in on them. First of all, we all know that we're a bigger football club than them in terms of our following. And second of all, uh, we know that, as I say, the game is in our city. It makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? But anyway, hey, um, Marco says, they go in on us for everything. Let's be petty. Yeah, you, maybe you're right. Um, what's this picture that they put up before the end of the game? I haven't seen that. Oh, what am I doing? Clicking all the wrong buttons. Um, someone pointed out that they maybe posted something before the game that they shouldn't have posted. Arnie Arneson says, have you seen the picture that City put up before the game ended? I haven't. Feel free to, to send it over. I'll drop it in the chat. Um, I'd love to see it. Anyway, let's get into the game itself then. So the performance. Um, so the first 10 minutes worried me a little bit. It felt like we were going to just be chasing shadows. And because we were so adamant on pressing high up the pitch, I was concerned that we were going to get tired. Obviously, it's not quite full season yet. You know, it's it's not quite, we're not quite at that point. We're in, we're in peak physical condition. And I worried that we were going to be tired out and run ragged when I looked at how the first 10 minutes went. City had a lot of the ball. They didn't hurt us, mind you, but they had plenty of the ball and we were chasing shadows at the beginning of the game. It was interesting as well because what kept happening was was Declan Rice would press, Martin Odegaard would press alongside Kai Havertz. And for me, we were trying to play with that five-man press that we use in most games. But you always felt in that first 10, 15 minutes that Manchester City had enough quality if they flicked the switch to be able to play around that and then cause us tons of problems. So the first 10, 15 was a little bit concerning for me, not in terms of like, oh my God, press the panic button, but it, it felt like they were trying to set the pattern of the game and it was going to be very much City on the ball and Arsenal chasing shadows. And I wondered whether we'd be able to sustain that over the course of the game. And I think what you have to do to press effectively over the course of a 90-minute period is you have to be able to take your foot off the accelerator at various points. And what I noticed Arsenal did to allow themselves to kind of reserve energy, store up energy and go again at certain points was there were times where they dropped Declan Rice just that little bit deeper. And that meant that him and Thomas Partey could give us that basis um, and give us that kind of, uh, what's the word? I don't know, structure, that little bit more structure in midfield off the ball. Uh, we could cover more of it. We could protect some of the spaces. And that meant that when we kind of, allowed City to have the ball. And I'm not saying that they only had it because we allowed them to have it. They're a brilliant flipping football side. Everybody knows that. But there were times where we kind of conceded that we were okay with them having the ball. And and our, and and we sort of did that after the sort of first 10, 15 minutes. And then we got a bit of stability. We then managed to, um, to get the ball back. Um, and we managed to get on it ourselves and start to set the tempo ourselves. And as the half went on, I thought Arsenal grew... Uh, into the game and got better and better and better, looked more calm, looked more composed. And once you've had a few touches on an occasion like this, now people can shit on the tournament or, or on the trophy, I should say, the, the prize, all the rest of it. But it is a big occasion. It's at Wembley Stadium, a packed Wembley Stadium. I think there were 81,000 people in attendance today. It's a big old occasion. All eyes are on you. And particularly for those new boys, the players that uh, have just come into the Arsenal fold, um, you know, they would have been feeling a lot of pressure to perform. 
but it's amazing how getting a few touches and and playing a few uh, successful passes, albeit short ones that don't really get you all that much progress, it can make the world a difference. And as I say, after about 15 minutes, I thought Arsenal livened up, woke up, and I really enjoyed the rest of the first half um, between then and the end uh, of the first period. I thought there were moments where we could have done better. Um, Kai Havertz had a couple of chances, didn't he? Uh, the first one, I thought he did really, really well to kind of turn the way he did and almost wrong-footed Ortega in the Manchester City goal. He just dangled out a leg and managed to make the save. He had another chance, Kai Havertz, which he probably should have scored. He just kind of swung a right boot at it. Didn't really make the contact he would have liked. He is a left-footed player, and it was his right foot, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I just thought that... Um, I, I just thought that we were the ones that posed the biggest threat in the first half. After that 10, 15-minute period where it was all City on the ball, Arsenal not able to get it, once we got a little bit of control, and then as a result of that, the confidence just flowed through everyone and, and you know, Arsenal went up a level. Then I thought it was a really, really enjoyable performance. I actually thought the second half started quite similar. The pattern at the start of the second half was quite similar, and I wondered if that was deliberate. I wondered if Arsenal and Mikel Arteta had looked at it and gone, let's just make sure that we don't concede anything in the early stages of the half. Let's not be stupid. Let's not be gung-ho. Let's not get caught out. Let's be that little bit more reserved and let's time when we press. Let's let's press when we should press and let's lay off a little bit at certain times in order to reserve energy and make sure that we can sustain our level uh, for the remainder of the game. I think Mikel Arteta tactically is getting better and better and better as a manager. We always talk about how young the team is and how we need to be patient and how we need to give them time and how this is only the beginning. They're only going to get better. Well, I think the same can be said of Mikel Arteta. I think he is proving himself tactically to be far more astute. And I think things like making little tweaks like that, just sort of getting Declan Rice to just drop off, not completely, but five, ten yards, um, sort of asking Kai Havertz to maybe be more focused on closing down spaces as Manchester City want to play the ball out rather than just running like a headless chicken trying to close everybody down at every opportunity. I think that worked for us. And I think that's something that you wouldn't have seen maybe a year, 18 months ago. Uh, big shout out to uh, my good friend, Mr. Marco Biferi in the chat. How's it going, man? He says, how was Wimpy, mate? Oh, mate, it was elite. Wimpy is so good. Wimpy is so, so good. Really, really is. Uh, big shout out to Sam as well. Thank you so much for your kind super chat donation, my friend. He says, what do you prefer, this measured press or all guns blazing like we're used to? Or is it dependent on the opposition? Um, for me, it's dependent on the opposition. Uh, there will be sides that if you press aggressively, you're going to kill them. Um, you know, we saw that last season. Weaker sides who don't have the ability, don't have the players, don't have the technical level to play their way around an aggressive press and just get suffocated by it. In those instances, it's the right thing to do. Against a side like Manchester City, you can go 100 miles an hour, press, close down, harry, hassle, all the rest of it, and they'll still play their way around you. And when they do, you're in deep, deep shit. If you look at Manchester City's goal and how it came about, it actually comes about because Thomas Partey was probably too aggressive in the way that he went to deal with Phil Foden, who spun away from him. I think it was Phil Foden. And off City go. We did have a chance to get the ball clear. Kieran Tierney um, just kind of lost his footing at the key moment, which was unfortunate. But even still, 
when he loses that ball, that's not a problem if you're back in position and everybody's disciplined. But what you saw there was Manchester City create this overload on the right-hand side, which allowed Cole Palmer to pick up the ball, use his man as a decoy, cut inside and finish magnificently. Look, credit where credit's due. That was a brilliant, brilliant goal from Cole Palmer. He looks a real, real talent. Pep Guardiola and Manchester City got a real talent on their hands in Cole Palmer. Um, and, and I must admit, when that goal went in, it didn't really hurt too much. And I'll tell you why it didn't hurt too much. It didn't hurt too much for me because I had sort of, by that point, 75 minutes, whatever it was, 77 minutes, I had seen what I wanted to see from Arsenal, which was for them to be disciplined, which was for them to be composed, which was for them to be competitive, for them to create a few chances, for them to limit a very, very good Manchester City side, limit Erling Haaland, to very little in the game. I think he had 13 touches or something, maybe 16. I can't remember which figure I read uh, on my way home, but he certainly wasn't involved in the game whatsoever. And that is a credit to Arsenal and all the great work they did in terms of taking care of him. So at 77 minutes, when that goal went in, yeah, I was deflated. I was demoralised. It was a bit of a kick in the balls, if we're being honest. But at the same time, I felt like, okay, frustrating, disappointing, but I've seen what I came here to see. And that is an improvement in this Arsenal side. Of course, then there's that injury to Thomas Partey coming together with Carl Walker. The pair of them were both down in a heap after Mikel Arteta had made a raft of substitutions. I say a raft of substitutions. He brought on Fabio Vieira by that point. He brought Leandro Trossard on by that point. Emile Smith-Rowe as well. Eddie Nketiah was on the pitch too. And I guess... In the lead up to Partey's collision with Walker, I was getting a little bit frustrated at the fact that Arsenal weren't being direct. It felt like, you know, I don't know if it was because that's what they thought was the right thing to do or if Manchester City were just cutting off the passing lane so well. But we just took our time to progress the ball forward, to move the ball forward. And you wanted to see somebody really kind of just take control, just do something a little bit special to create half a yard and, and have a crack at goal. And that's exactly what Leandro Trossard did. I thought Emil Smith-Rowe did great when he came on. Enketia too, because he gave us runs in the channel. Kai Havertz was good today, and we'll come on to his performance in a bit, but he didn't give us that option really to knock balls into the channel. Eddie Enketia was a willing runner down that right side channel in particular, and he brought the ball down beautifully on a couple of occasions to kind of pull the centre-halves out of position and allow space inside for others to try and expose it. But Enketia was good. Vieira was good. Smith-Rowe was good as well. Um, really clever footballer, dropping into pockets, picking up the ball, spinning, turning, combining really, really well on occasions with Leandro Trossard as well. That was good to see. But the goal comes because obviously we have a corner. Manchester City don't clear it too well. Um, and then the ball comes to Leandro Trossard and it's just a little bit of clever play just to buy himself that half a yard. And what does he do? He gambles. He takes a shot. He has a crack. Now, it wasn't the greatest strike. It was a poor strike, to be honest with you. And it's certainly one that Stefan Ortega, had there not been a deflection, would have been able to gather with ease. And that would have been that. But if you don't shoot, you don't score. And I know that sounds like a really simplistic, stupid thing to say. But if you don't shoot, you don't score. If you don't take the risk, if you don't gamble, then you're never going to get any reward. And you're never going to see that benefit. And yeah, we got the rub of the green, but you know what? We deserved that bit of luck because I thought overall we were the better team on the afternoon. 
I really, really do. I think we were really, really good for large periods. I thought there was a couple of moments on our left-hand side, Manchester City's right, just before Yuri and Timber came off. And I put that down to him being tired. But not only was he tired, he was dealing with an overload constantly. He was dealing with that extra body that Manchester City were throwing on that right-hand side. And it started happening when Cole Palmer came on because he didn't come on and play directly through the middle. He played from this kind of right-sided position where he was always looking to cut in on his left foot. So Timber goes off, Tierney comes on, Tierney makes a mistake. Yes, he slips. That can happen to anybody. But I thought that structurally we weren't set up to deal with that overload. We weren't set up to cope with that particular problem that Manchester City were posing us at that part of the game. So the performance was good for the most part, but then you lose a bit of concentration. You can see the silly goal. It's very easy to drop your heads. Then the Thomas Partey clash with Carl Walker means that there's loads and loads of stoppage time. We know that they've added on stoppage time now this season, and we're going to see lots and lots of it. But they added on eight minutes initially. That coming together caused a delay of about three or four minutes. And then literally with one of the last kicks of the game, Leandro Trossard takes that shot, takes a deflection. There we go. We're in it. And then, you know, the momentum was with us at that point. And, and that's great. You know, you've you've bounced back, you've come back from a really difficult shit position and now you're confident and you're buoyant going into the penalty shootout. And no word of a lie, I turn around to my dad and I said, penalties can be at times a lottery. Whatever happens now, I am satisfied with today's performance. I'm satisfied with the outcome because we competed. We went one better by holding our nerve and winning the penalty shootout. But we competed with the side that we view as the benchmark. Now, people will argue that Manchester City are not at their best. And people will say that Manchester City are traditionally slow starters. And that's something that Pep Guardiola does deliberately so that they can get to a point where they're peaking right at the business end of the season. That might all be true, but they're still a really, really good side. I heard somebody on a, a football phone in on the way home ring up and say, yeah, but we were without Kevin De Bruyne, who was, of course, on the bench and came on late in the game. You were without Kevin De Bruyne. Okay. We were without Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko. But the best thing about that, and we were without Jorginho as well, by the way, who would have been certainly a good option to bring on at certain points in the game where we were wanting to control the ball. But the point I'm trying to make here is that if you really, really think about it, we were without two players that were so key for us last season. And it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem. Nobody was talking about it going into the game. And nobody will even think of them coming out of the game. And what does that tell you? What does that say? I mean, it's not to shit on how good they are or to dismiss their qualities or, or what they bring to the table, what they bring to the party. It's not that at all. It's just a sign that the squad has got so much better. It's a sign that the squad is in a place now where we can live with a couple of absentees, no matter how important they are to the side. Now, there are players that are better than others. For example, for me, William Saliba is head and shoulders above any other defender we've got. He's a Rolls Royce, literally. That's what Zinchenko described him as in the week in an interview that he did. And that is literally what he is. He is immense. And all I could think about watching him in that first half today was what if he didn't get injured last season? 
And you shouldn't think about that because it will drive you insane. And you shouldn't feel regret about stuff that you can't control because that's a really unhealthy thing to do. But man, he was just unbelievable. So like someone like him, right? He's head and shoulders above everyone. It's irreplaceable. Doesn't matter what level of squad you've got. There are very few defenders in world football right now, in my opinion, that would bring you that kind of impact, that kind of calmness, composure at the back, and then have that sort of lasting, continuing effect on all the players around you as well. So Saliba, unbelievable footballer. But the point I'm trying to make is the squad now feels far, far better equipped. We've talked a lot over the summer about competition. And this debate has kind of resurfaced again over the last few days when we've been talking about David Raya and all the rest of it. Look at Aaron Ramsdale, man. He made some really, really big saves today. Made a couple of really, really good saves in the game and saves a penalty kick as well. Something that people had been criticizing him for um, of late, saying he doesn't save enough of them, all the rest of it. But you hear about a bit of competition. You hear about David Raya potentially coming in and all of a sudden there's that extra little bit of motivation. Now, the big characters, they thrive on that. They use it as fuel and they push forward. The weak characters, they curl up in a ball, they hide and they die on the football pitch, not in real life, like hypothetically speaking. Aaron Ramsdale stepped it up. Look how good Fabio Vieira was when he came on. I thought he was excellent. Not because he had a massive, massive impact, but he took up all the right positions. But for a really, really poor pass from Bukayo Saka, I think he could have had a really good chance as well. Okay, the angle was against him, but you know he could have got a good shot off. I, I thought he was, I thought he was impactful when he came on. I thought Enketia was playing like someone that was wanting to show Mikel Arteta you were wrong to leave me out out of the side. Now I think for what it's worth, Arteta was right to do that. I think it was the right decision. Um, and we'll come on to talk about Havertz's performance in a bit. But, you know, he came on wanting to prove a point and he worked tirelessly, he ran the channels, he brought the ball down nicely on multiple occasions and he had an impact. Same can be said of Emil Smith-Rowe, who is chomping at the bit to get back in this side. He really, really is. He looks stronger. He looks physical. He looks sharp. And we know what a great player he is technically as well. So, the competition, it, it will get the best out of the right characters. And I think you saw that today. Let's run through uh, some of the individual performances. Uh, let's start with Aaron Ramsdale. We've, we've touched on his performance um, sort of kind of by saying that, you know, he really, really stepped up. I thought there were a couple of moments today where he was under a lot of pressure, yet he managed to distribute the ball effectively, which was good to see. Um, he didn't take any crazy risks. He maybe just allowed the ball to run across his body a few times, maybe allowed the, the striker to get a little bit too close for comfort um, at certain points. But generally speaking, I thought he did really, really well. Um, he made a really, really good save from Phil Foden where he kind of stuck out a leg and he tried to make himself big and it come off the inside of his thigh, I think, and ended up going behind for a corner. Now, you could say that was a bit lucky, but... He did enough not to let the ball basically go directly through his legs. He did well enough to divert it elsewhere. But generally speaking, I thought it was a really, really good performance from him. I thought Ben White was solid today as well. I thought he limited Jack Grealish to pretty much nothing. Um, when Phil Foden came on, it was a bit more difficult, I thought, for Ben White, just because he was a bit more dynamic in his running and he was a bit less predictable. But Ben White in possession, again, I thought was really, really good as well. He 
He progressed the ball really nicely. He's always really composed when he receives the ball in kind of worrying positions. He's always got that immaculate first touch. He just keeps the ball close to him. Very often buys himself just enough time by doing that to kind of stand on the ball, look up and make the right decision rather than play blind passes down blind alleys and put us into trouble. William Saliba, for me, I think was superb. Um, if, you know, I, I can't think of a single thing that he'd done wrong. Everything he did, he did with class, he did with elegance, he did with assurance. And he makes Gabriel a much better centre-half for being alongside him. And he makes Ben White a much better fullback uh, for playing sort of in conjunction with him down Arsenal's right side of the defence. Gabriel was really good for me as well. Um, I thought he was really, really solid. Um, snapped away at the heels of Erling Haaland on a couple of occasions and did it really, really well. Aggressive enough to let him know he was there and aggressive enough to kind of have an impact, but not overly aggressive, which is something you could have said of Gabriel in the past, which led to him making rash decisions, silly mistakes, picking up cards, all the rest of it. He looks like he's matured so much. Urian Timber, I can't believe we're 29 minutes in and I'm only mentioning him properly now, was, I thought, absolutely fantastic. I think he got a little bit tired at the end of the game. And I've talked about City making that tweak when Cole Palmer came on down their right-hand side and what that did in terms of causing our left-back a little bit more uh, trouble and causing them more issues. But I thought overall his performance was wonderful. And I did have worries and concerns, actually, about Yuri and Timber playing in that position going into this game. I, I said that he would be the one and I thought he would be the one that Mikel went with. So I wasn't surprised that he played there. But I always worry about defenders playing on their wrong side. And in the first couple of minutes, there were a couple of occasions, I think, where he just struggled to adjust. But once he got a few touches on the ball, he got really confident. He grew into the game. He made some really good forward runs, um, not just overlapping runs, which is what you traditionally see fullbacks do when they venture forward. But he made underlapping runs as well. And he got into the box on a couple of occasions, got close to the box, helped us with a couple of counter-attacks whilst defending against a very tricky Bernardo Silva brilliantly for the uh, the entire game. Well, until he got taken off. The, the entire time he was on the pitch, I should say. Um, really, really positive signing. So that's one of our new boys. Really, really impressive. Thomas Partey, for me, was wow. Um, what a performance from him. One misplaced pass in the first half where he nearly put us in trouble. But with the exception of that, I thought he was fantastic. Great on the ball. Um, read every situation, pretty much every situation, really, really well. Stepped out when he needed to, but also protected that back four when it was the right time. Made sure he got close to Saliba and Gabriel when they were going into challenges, one-on-one -on -one situations, in an attempt to clean up anything that came off the back of that. Um, I thought it was really unlucky to get booked. Um, I, I, I don't know why he got booked. Obviously, well, it, we think it was because he kind of kicked the ball away, but it wasn't a proper kick away, was it? It was kind of rolling the ball away. I, I thought the referee, Stuart Atwell, was was as pedantic as you can be and, and quite honestly was pathetic. I couldn't work out what his criteria was for, for yellow cards. It, it was like, you make a foul, they make a foul but you're wearing a red shirt, so you need to go in the book. They're wearing a blue shirt, so it's fine. They can have this one. I mean, that challenge from Rodri, which was 10 times worse than any challenge, not in terms of like m malice or, um, or being dangerous, but 
in terms of how deliberate it was. It was the classic Pep Guardiola tactical foul that people like to talk about. How that wasn't a yellow card, I will never know. Uh, but anyway, I was talking about Thomas Partey. I thought he managed the game really, really well because when you're on a yellow card and you're in a position where you need to make tackles and you need to be physical and you need to be aggressive and you need to snap away at people's heels at times, I think when you're on a yellow card, it's really difficult. It becomes a disciplinary tightrope that you're walking. And often we've seen players make one challenge too many and get sent for an early bath. But I thought he managed that really, really well. He's incredibly brave in the challenge he went into with Walker, uh, picked up that injury, obviously. Um, you know, good to see him back up on his feet and continuing and finishing out the game as well. But, um, you know, people have been saying over the summer that it was time to move on from Thomas Partey. Some had suggested that he should play at right back. Some suggest that he should be out of the team so that Declan Rice can fill that position and then Kai Havertz or whoever else can play in that slightly more advanced role. Well, if you needed any evidence of how good Thomas Partey can be, and we know that he's dropped off at the end of the last couple of seasons, and we know that injuries have historically been an issue for him. But when this guy is on it, he is magnificent. And you saw that again today. Declan Rice's performance was good, I thought. Um, but I still think we're looking at a player that is working on his understanding of our system and what that role entails. Because I think at the start of the game, I mentioned that I thought that Mikel Arteta kind of just got him to drop off a little bit and be that little bit less aggressive. That was a tactical thing because of the way the game was going at the time. Arsenal couldn't get the ball. Manchester City were knocking it about. And you always felt like with the five-man press, even though that increased our chances of winning it back, you knew that it didn't increase them to 100%. And you know that, you know, they are good enough to play through that. And you know that that can leave you in a spot of bother if your midfield is all pushed up and, and, and is sort of high up and, and sort of out of sync and all the rest of it. I thought, though, there were a couple of moments today where we saw what Declan Rice brings to the party that Granite Xhaka just couldn't. Now, you guys all know that I love Granite Xhaka. You guys will all know that I'm one of his biggest fans and I always defended him when things went wrong. And I always defended him when I felt people were coming at him unnecessarily. Look, I've even got a little mini Granite Xhaka sitting here on my desk alongside me. The guy's brilliant, but what he didn't have and what he doesn't have that Declan Rice had today, which got us out of trouble on a couple of occasions, was that ability to, once you sniff out danger, accelerate across the park at a rapid speed, using his big long legs, the big strides, to eat up the ground in front of him and get back and make important interventions. And there were two of them in the first half where on both occasions, I turned around to my dad and I said, Dad, that is what Declan Rice brings to the party that Granit Xhaka doesn't. I think there's an argument that on the ball, they're as good as each other. I think there's an argument that Granit Xhaka's left foot is maybe better than Declan Rice's right foot when it comes to picking out passes and all the rest of it. And some of the shots that Granit Xhaka used to let fly every now and again, all the rest of it. I'm not in any way criticising Declan Rice because I think he's fantastic. But there were just moments today where I thought it was clear that he was still trying to change his habits from what they have been for a number of years. And that's fine. That happens when you've got new players. But he still gave us more than enough defensively. He still contributed in the build-up offensively as well. 
And when you're a player that's as good as him, you will contribute even when you're not quite at 100%. So I'm not saying Declan Rice was bad, but looking at Declan Rice, I still feel like there are a couple of levels more that he can go up to. And that's really, really exciting. Odegaard struggled for me to get into the game in that first 10, 15 minutes, but that's because we couldn't get the ball. And it was the same for the first five, 10 minutes of the second half. But when we got going, he was unbelievable. Some of the touches, he sent Mateo Kovacic back to the bridge, I think, um, in the second half with that lovely drop of the shoulder and spin away from him. Odegaard is just, you know, he's just brilliant. He's such a wonderful footballer, so technically gifted, brilliant on the eye, brilliant leader as well. I, I really sort of paid attention to him today in terms of what he was doing off the ball, whether it be trying to get the crowd on their feet when he felt like his team's energy levels were just suffering a little bit. And he obviously felt like that could go some way in, in lifting them and, and getting them back on it and all the rest of it. Whether it was going over to players and having a word with them at the right moments, whether it was carrying out the tactical tweaks that Mikel Arteta made in-game, he's just getting better and better. And to step up and take a penalty like the one he did at the start of the shootout really set the tone for the shootout. And... Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, the second half in particular, I thought Odegaard was was majestic. One player I was a little bit underwhelmed by today was Bukayo Saka. I have to say that. A um, couple of good runs in behind in the first half. Didn't always make the right decisions on the ball, but there were a couple of sloppy moments as well from Bukayo Saka, which is unlike him. Look, he's a young lad. He's still growing. He's still developing. He's still getting better and better, but he set the standard so high in terms of what he can do, that you almost expect perfection every week from him. And that's probably unfair. He still put in a shift defensively, helped out Ben White whenever that was needed. And so I don't want to be critical, but his performance was just a little bit underwhelming in comparison to what we know he's capable of producing. Um, switching it over to the left-hand side, I'd probably say the same about Martinelli as well. And I kind of figured out quite early on in the game that you know, you're not just going to run past Kyle Walker in the way that you might do someone else. This isn't one of those situations where all we have to do is get you in a position where you can isolate your man because those two in a foot race, you know, Martinelli is rapid, but I think if there's one fullback in the league that can keep up with him, it is probably Kyle Walker. So that kind of nullified for me what Martinelli brings to the party and brings to the table that maybe none of our other wingers do. He hasn't got as much guile and as much vision, I don't think, as Leandro Trossard, for example, but he's got that explosiveness. When you're coming up against someone who's as explosive as you, as strong as you, probably stronger than you, then that becomes less of a, a sort of advantage. And so he needed to show a little bit more guile. He needed to be a little bit cleverer with his runs and with his movement. Defended well. Um, as well, Martinelli got back a lot and supported, which was great. Um, but yeah, I, I maybe expected just a touch more from him. But again, this is not a criticism. This is just room for improvement, I guess. Is that the right way to put it? Um, Kai Havertz. Let's get on to Kai Havertz. This is interesting. Started at centre forward. When I saw his name on the team sheet and I sort of gathered he was going to be playing at centre forward, I expected him to drop a lot deeper then he did. Um, he dropped deep at times, which is obviously what he was asked to do. And I think what he does naturally as well, because of sort of the way he plays the game. But I, I thought that at times he played a really good hold up role. There was a couple of occasions where we pinged the ball into his feet 
or we played a ball in the air and he was able to bring it down, roll his man and, and lay it off left or right. Got into two great positions as well. Probably should have scored at least a goal today. But, you know, he is a bit languid in the way he carries himself. That's something we're going to have to get used to. His press is effective in that he shuts down spaces and that he blocks passing lanes, but it isn't as like gung-ho as, for example, Eddie Nketiah. Because I remember when Eddie Nketiah came on and started running around like a madman, I thought to myself, wow, maybe Havertz wasn't doing anything up front. But no, that's not the case. The more I think about it, Havertz does it just in a different way. He's got that big old frame, yet he's so technically gifted and he's got so much skill and control on the ball that he can spin people, even if it looks like it's happening in slow motion at times. He's got that ability to roll someone one way or the other. And he's got that striking instinct. He's got that instinct to know where to position himself in an opposition's penalty area. And that to us is a big, big benefit. I'm not saying he should play up front every week, but I think it was a good idea to play in there today. It wasn't what I would have done going into the game. I said that to you guys. I, I would have probably gone with Trossard myself through the middle. I thought Mikel would go with Eddie. In the end, he went with Havertz. I guess this is technically a preseason game, right? So you can get away with experimenting if you like. But I thought it was an experiment that worked today. And I thought it was a good experiment in that it showed a lot of Arsenal fans some of the attributes Kai Havertz has that maybe they didn't think he had because of the conception around him um, during his time at Chelsea. A misconception of what he is and who he is because of the fact that their team couldn't string two passes together and hit a banjo's ass last season. Like that, that, you know, that's the um, hit teams. Up, like, I don't know what that banjo ass saying actually is. Sorry. I don't know how that even came out. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I think a lot of people had an idea of what Kai Havertz is based on what they'd read and seen in terms of highlights from his time at Chelsea and playing him where we played him today gave us an opportunity to, sh to see that he's got more, than maybe what we thought and some of the attributes like Mikel Arteta made an interesting point in a recent press conference where he was asked about the physicality of the midfield if Havertz was to play there and Mikel Arteta went I mean look how big he is like it's not like there is no physicality there and I think you saw today because I thought he, he needed to be physical at times and he was but he also played at a really high technical level a couple of bad touches everybody did Martinelli in particular had a couple of really heavy touches Saka too um, but I thought Kai Havertz gave a really, really good account of himself. I wish he scored because it would have been a huge confidence boost for him. That's it. He couldn't hit a barred door with a banjo. That's the one I was looking for. Thanks, Michael. Barn door. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> I can always rely on the chat. Couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. I think I was getting the two mixed up, maybe, the two sayings. Yep, thank you, um, cross junkie. <laughs> Love it. Um but yeah, that, that's kind of my assessment of the performances. Just quickly on Trossard and Ketia, Smith Rowe, Vieira. I mean, I touched on these guys already, but Trossard just brings something different. Bit of guy when he had that sort of, I don't know if it's bravery, because I think you should want to do it in football anyway. But he had that kind of, that sort of confidence to say, no, I'm going to drop a shoulder and I'm going to try and have a go at goal myself. And, and when he did, obviously... He got that bit of fortune. It gave us the equalising goal and, and the rest is history, as they say. Eddie Nketiah, as I said, was incredible. Um, 
work really, really hard. And, and I really appreciate his performance today. Emil Smith throws sharper, fitter, stronger, and definitely knocking on the door for this starting 11. Uh, Fabio Vieira, too, I thought got into really good spaces. That penalty to win it. Wow. Um, you know, for a player who's been criticised by Arsenal fans, who's been labelled as a bit of a flop, who people are still questioning whether he's good enough for the side, my, myself included, right? I'm not, like, I still want to see more from him. I, I still think we need to, you know, we need to give him more minutes because only with minutes will he get better and only with success will he grow confidence and only with confidence will we see the, the true talent of Fabio Vieira because I really do believe he's a wonderful footballer. But to step up at that situation, and I know it wasn't a massive pressured situation because A, this isn't a major trophy and B, we could have afford we could afford to miss that penalty, score the next one and still win it. So it wasn't quite the crunch penalty, if you like. But to step up the way he did in front of an expectant crowd and just stroke it into the top corner the way he did, I thought was excellent. Uh, he trusted in his technical ability there and it paid off. And, and I'm so delighted for him. I'm also delighted for Ramsdale today as well. Saved that penalty. There's been a lot of talk about Ramsdale this week. He put that incredibly brave letter out. Very, very proud to have him as as our goalkeeper and, and as a big, big part of this squad. Um, and I think he, he could have really done with that after the week he's had. And uh, yeah, brilliant save. Um, brilliant throughout the game. And uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing him and Fabio Vieira kind of get their share of the spotlight as well. Uh, normally, it's Saka and Martinelli or Jesus or Odegaard, whatever. But Vieira and Ramsdale were the two in particular that I was happy for. Look, I'm going to start to wrap up because um, I've got some work to do tonight. I've got a couple of TV bits to do, a radio bit as well, uh, which I'm going to be doing remotely from here. So I do need to dash and make sure that I can get logged on in time and all the rest of it. Um, we will be back tomorrow with another episode in which we maybe will look to break down a couple of particular uh, aspects of Arsenal's game. Uh, I'm going to sit down and watch the game again, uh, either late tonight or first thing in the morning. So I'll probably have some more thoughts and I'm sure we can make another episode out of it. Plus whatever news uh, comes along tomorrow uh, to supplement that as well. So thank you all so, so much. It's been a while since I've been able to do a show on the evening of the game. So I'm really chuffed to have done that. And uh, thank you to the loads of you that have been watching us. So, so many live views, which is incredible. Um, I think it's about 800 of you with me right now, which is amazing. If I could just ask, is there any way, is there any, any way that we can get the likes up to 500? There's enough of you watching. I'd be so, so grateful if you could do that because it really, really does help. Arsenal haven't won the war yet, but they won a battle today. They came out on top in a psychological battle with Manchester City. Yes, they tend to peak a little bit later in the season. Yes, they're traditionally slow starters, but we needed to get over our complex when it comes to Manchester City. And you can talk as much as you want about how the trophy doesn't matter and how it's not a major trophy and how it looks like a plate and all the rest of it. Sod the bloody plate. This is nothing to do with the plate. This is to do with the fact that Arsenal turned up at Wembley, went up against the best team in world football, competed and more. When they did make a mistake, had the resilience to fight back from it, kept going, kept plugging away, had the reserves from the bench capable of coming on and making an impact and having an impact, which ultimately shows you that the squad is better and stronger. And then we held our nerve in the shootout and we all had a bloody great day out as well. Thank you all so, so much. I'll see you all soon. Until next time, 
Take care of yourselves and up the Arsenal. Come on, you Gunners. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.